Chapter 2 of The Road to Understanding. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Matt Perard. The Road to Understanding by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter 2 An Only Son. Proud and blissfully happy in his victory, Burke went to his father. And to his father, so far as the latter himself was concerned, he carried a bombshell. For two reasons, John Denby had failed to see what was taking place in his own home. First, because it would never have occurred to him that his son could fall in love with a nursemaid. Secondly, because he had systematically absented himself from the house during the most of his sister's visit, preferring to take his sister away with him for drives and walks, rather than to stay in the noisy confusion of toys and babies that his home had become. Because of all this, therefore, he was totally unprepared for what his son was bringing to him. He welcomed the young man with affectionate heartiness. "'Well, my boy, it's good to see you. Where have you been keeping yourself all these two weeks?' "'Why, Dad!' I've been right here. In fact, I've been very much right here. The conscious color that crept to the boy's forehead should have been illuminating, but it was not. Yes, yes, very likely, very likely, frowned the man. But of course, with so many around. But soon we'll be by ourselves again. Not but what I'm enjoying your aunt's visit, of course, he added hastily. But here are two weeks of your vacation gone, and I've scarcely seen you a minute. Yes, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about. College, plunged in the boy. I've decided I don't want to finish my course, Dad. I'd rather go into business right away. The man drew his brows together, but did not look entirely displeased. Hmm, well, he hesitated. While I should hate not to see you graduated, yet it's not so bad an idea after all. I'd be glad to have you here for good that much earlier, son. But why the sudden right-about face? I thought you were particularly keen for that degree. Again the tell-tale color flamed in the boyish cheeks. I was, once. But you see, then I wasn't thinking of getting married. Married? To John Denby it seemed suddenly that a paralyzing chill clutched his heart and made it skip a beat this possible future marriage of his son, breaking into their close companionship, was the dreaded shadow that loomed ever ahead. Nonsense, boy. Time enough to think of that when you've found the girl. But I have found her, Dad. John Denby paled perceptibly. You have what? He demanded. You don't mean that you've... Who is she? Helen. Why, Dad, you seem surprised laughed the boy. Haven't you noticed? Suspected? Well, no, I haven't, retorted the man grimly. Why should I? I never heard of the young lady before. What is this? Some college tomfoolery? I might have known, I suppose, what would happen. College? Why, Dad, she's here. You know her. It's Helen. Miss Barnett. Here? There's no one here but your aunt, and— he stopped and half started from his chair. You don't. You can't mean. Your aunt's nursemaid? 
at the scornful emphasis of an indignant red dyed the boy's face i didn't think that of you dad he rebuked angry as he was the man was conscious of the hurt the words gave him but he held his ground and i did not think this of you burke he rejoined coldly you mean i mean that i suppose my son should show some consideration as to the woman he chose for his wife father the boyish face set into stern lines the boyish figure drew itself erect with a majesty that would have been absurd had it not been so palpably serious i can't stand much of this sort of thing even from you miss barnett is everything that is good and true and lovely she is in every way worthy more than worthy besides she is the woman i love the woman i have asked to be my wife please remember that when you speak of her john denby laughed lightly sharp words had very evidently been on the end of his tongue when with a sudden change of countenance he relaxed in his chair and said well done burke your sentiments do you credit i'm sure but aren't we getting a little melodramatic i feel as if i were on the stage of a second-rate theatre however i stand corrected and will speak very respectfully of the lady hereafter i have no doubt she is very good and very lovely as you say but his mouth hardened a little i must still insist that she is no fit wife for my son why not obvious reasons i suppose you mean because she has to work for her living flashed the boy but that excuse me seems to me plain snobbishness and i must say again i didn't think it of you dad i supposed come come this has gone far enough interrupted the distraught sorely tried father of an idolized son you're only a boy you don't know your own mind you'll fancy yourself in love a dozen times yet before the time comes for you to marry i'm not a boy i'm a man grown you're not twenty-one yet i shall be next month and i do know my own mind you'll see father when i'm married but you're not going to be married at present and you're never going to marry this nursemaid father i mean what i say you won't give your consent never then i'll do it without after next month there was a tense moment of silence father and son faced each other angry resentment in their eyes then with a sharp ejaculation john denby got to his feet and strode to the window when he turned a minute later and came back the angry resentment was gone his mouth was stern but his eyes were pleading he came straight to his son and put both hands on his shoulders burke listen to me he begged i'm doing this for two reasons first to save you from yourself you've known this girl scarcely two weeks hardly an adequate preparation for a lifetime of living together and just here comes in the second reason however good and lovely she may be she couldn't possibly qualify for that long lifetime together burke simply because she works for her living has nothing to do with it she has not the tastes 
or the training that should belong to your wife that must belong to your wife if she is to make you happy if she is to take the place of your mother and that is the place your wife will take of course burke under the restraining hands on his shoulders the boy stirred restlessly tastes training what do i care for that she suits my tastes she wouldn't for long you wait and see too great a risk to run my boy i'll risk it i'm going to risk it again there was a moment's silence again the stern lines deepened around the man's lips then very quietly there came the words burke if you marry this girl you will choose between her and me it seems to me that i ought not to need to tell you that you cannot bring her here she shall never occupy your mother's chair as the mistress of this house that settles it then i'll take her somewhere else if burke had not been so blind with passion he would have seen and felt the anguish that leapt to his father's eyes but he did not stop to see or to feel he snapped out the words jerked himself free and left the room this did not settle it however there were more words words common to stern parents and amorous youths and maidens since time immemorial a father appalled at the catastrophe that threatened not only his cherished companionship with his only son but in his opinion the revered sanctity of his wife's memory wrapped himself in forbidding dignity an impetuous lover torn between the old love of years and the new quite different one of weeks alternately stormed and pleaded a young girl undisciplined very much in love and smarting with hurt pride and resentment blew hot and cold in a manner that tended to drive every one concerned to distraction as soon as possible a shocked distressed sister eunice packed her trunks and betook herself and her offending household away in time then a compromise was effected burke should leave college immediately and go into the works with his father serving a short apprenticeship from the bottom up as he had planned for him that he might be the master of the business indeed as well as in name when he should some day take his father's place meanwhile for one year he was not to see or to communicate with helen barnett if at the end of the year he was still convinced that his only hope of happiness lay in marriage to this girl all opposition would be withdrawn and he might marry when he pleased though even then he must not expect to bring his bride to the old home they must set up an establishment for themselves we should prefer that under the circumstances had been the prompt and somewhat haughty rejoinder much to the father's discomfiture grieved and dismayed as he was at the airy indifference with which his son appeared to face a fatherless future john denby was yet pinning his faith on that year of waiting given twelve months with the boy quite to himself free from the hateful spell of this designing young woman and there could be no question of the result in john denby's mind in all confidence therefore and with every sense alert to make this year as perfect as a year could be 
John Denby set himself to the task before him. It was just here, however, that for John Denby the ghosts walked, ghosts of innumerable toy pistols and frosted cakes. Burke Denby, accustomed all his life to having what he wanted, and having it when he wanted it, moped the first week, sulked the second, covertly rebelled the third, and ran away the last day of the fourth, leaving behind him the customary note, which in this case read, Dear Dad, I've gone to Helen. I had to. I've lived a year of misery in this last month. So, as far as I am concerned, I have waited my year already. We shall be married at once. I wrote Helen last week, and she consented. Now, Dad, you'll just have to forgive me. I'm twenty-one. I'm a man now, not a boy. And a man has to decide these things for himself. And Helen's a dear. You'll see, when you know her. We'll be back in two weeks. Now, don't bristle up. I'm not going to bring her home, of course, at present. After the very cordial invitation you gave me not to, we're going into one of the Reddington apartments. With my allowance and my, er, wages, we can manage that all right. Until the stern parent relents and takes his daughter home, as he should. Goodbye, Burke. John Denby read the letter once twice then he pulled the telephone toward him and gave a few crisp orders to james brett his general manager his voice was steady and to the man at the other end of the wire ominously emotionless when he had finished talking five minutes later certain words had been uttered that would materially change the immediate future of a certain willful youth just then setting out on his honeymoon there would be for Burke Denby, no Reddington apartment. There would also be no several other things, for there would be no allowance after the current month. There would be only the wages, and the things the wages could buy. There was no disputing the fact that John Denby was very angry, but he was also sorely distressed and grieved, added to his indignation that his son should have so flouted him was his anguish of heart that the old days of ideal companionship were now gone forever. There was, too, his very real fear for the future happiness of his boy, bound in marriage to a woman he believed would prove to be a most uncongenial mate. But overtopping all, just now, was his wrath at the flippant assurance of his son's note, and the very evident confidence in a final forgiveness that the note showed. It was this that caused the giving of those stern, momentous orders over the telephone. John Denby himself had been somewhat in the habit of having his own way. The harassed father did not sleep much that night. Until far into the morning hours, he sat before the fireless grate in his library, thinking. He looked old, worn and wholly miserable in his hand and often under his gaze was the miniature of a beautiful woman his wife end of chapter two